happening guys welcome to a new episode of hustle smart welcome back welcome back and today we have a new guest we have olu could you please introduce yourself for those that don't know you hi uh, my name is olu benga king i'm the founder principal broker for bsl financial services we're based in lucian um, we offer mortgages, anything, property funding. Okay, cool. We do. Cool. But so let's start from the from the beginning. What's your What's your story? Um, where? How did you even become entrepreneurial? Uh, what What was it you were doing before anything? Oh, uh, my story. It's a uh, It's a long journey. I grew up in Lagos, Nigeria. Uh, came to the UK in nineteen ninety eight. Was actually twenty four years on. On the eighth of this month, oh, wow. that I've been here, um, it's a far cry from where I grew up. I mean, like it was, it was. Let me just put it like it was. It's totally a different world mm-hmm. from where I was and where I am now. And mm-hmm. so when I came, I came as an illegal immigrant looking to better myself. Um, so the first twelve years was. Under trying to survive, trying to get the papers, trying to do everything the right way. And it took 12 years for the journey. And yeah, I think 2010, finally had a breakthrough with the papers. And from then on, I just started, I won't say I just started running, really. Because in the first 12 years, I was busy trying to understand how the country works. Mm-hmm. And that while I don't have the papers, what are the things that I can do when eventually the paper comes and things like that. And I found property, mortgage brokerage, and started looking into it. Mm -hmm. So during that, during that time, um, before you got your papers, right? Like what sort of challenges did you face as, as an illegal immigrant? Oh my, not being able to work. Mm -hmm. uh, I remember, um, walking all over London trying to get a job. But obviously, there's no papers. So there's no, sometimes for weeks, there's no money. So I'm constantly walking from one place to another, asking for for work. And so it wasn't, it's not an easy thing, I'll be honest. But what it was was the determination that eventually mm-hmm. there's a, I'm a firm believer in God. Mm-hmm. and. So faith and work was what kept me going and having the right sort of people around me. Amazing. Yeah, Yeah, because I realized your network is important. Mm -hmm. They either break you or encourage you Mm -hmm. to keep going. And those are the things that helped me. And yeah, eventually I had the breakthrough. No, that's amazing. Um, So you said mortgage broken and property was what kind of gained your interest what was the journey like getting into becoming a, a mortgage broker? Well, um, when I started uh, doing the, when I eventually got qualified in 2013, I realized that getting into the industry was another journey on its own. Mm-hmm. But I didn't think it was going to be. But when I did, now finding people that will allow you to come in to do the work was a, different thing entirely. They kept asking, do you have clients to start with? Do you have experience? And I just got qualified. So there wasn't anyone willing to take me on. 
Eventually, I got a company that was based in Swindon that gave me a chance. They trained and all that. But I was constantly driving from London to Swindon for meetings, for training, and mm -hmm. all of those things. And when I joined them, for some reason, they said, okay, we need you to do protection for, for now. They refused to let me transition to mortgage brokerage. So it was just life insurance. And so I was with them for almost two years. Then I found another company in Peterborough. From there, six months, then moved to another one in Stevenage until I eventually found a company in Monument in the city that I joined back in 2017, July. And from then on, was able to settle down, got the knowledge and experience that I needed to to grow in the business. And from I think um, I was with them for one and a half year. Then I went to set up on my okay. own. So I got two questions here. What encouraged you to to start your own business, and then how did you then make that transition from working for a company? to then start up your own? Uh, I think for me, the as I mentioned earlier, the journey from one company to another was a major factor because I realized that before I even did anything, I was presumed to be doing a fraudulent case. That was the challenge that I had. Without doing anything, the moment you start, oh, I've got this case, the level of compliance and checks that they put on myself was much compared to my other fellow that were doing the same thing. And that was the reason for me moving from one company to another because when I started the work, they, uh, they want to do file check. They want to see they need to do this. And that. So when my colleagues are doing 100%, I mean, let's say they're doing 40, 50% of I'm doing 120% because I already felt this sense that, oh, they're all black Nigerian cases. They're all fraudulent cases. So I'm constantly having to prove myself each time. And I just got to a point, I realized that for me to go far in, the comp in this industry, I need to create my own table mm. and not constantly looking for yeah. people to invite me to join them. Yeah. So when I, the last place I was, um, it was the best experience I had before I went to. They actually took time to train me. They gave me all the tools, all the things I needed to be a, a better broker. But the one thing was they constantly check my cases. Like, the way the structure was is three months into the the first three months you submitted cases, they, they they review they and they sign you up that okay, you're competent. Up until I left, I was one and a half year later, they still didn't sign me up. So mm. I just so it's not for me. I don't get upset or get angry. I just mm. don't it's a motivation for me to go and set up yeah. on my own and just leave this sort of okay. 
and yeah. give opportunities to people like myself mm-hmm. to avoid those sort of experience. Yeah, no, amazing. So yeah, in fact, firstly, can we go to what is a mortgage broker? What do they do? And also, what is a mortgage for those that don't know what it is? Uh, a mortgage broker, we're more like an intermediary for people that wants to buy property and the banks that are looking for people that need money to buy okay. property. Mm-hmm. So our job is to help people look for the right lender to fund their property purchase, be it first-time buyer that wants to buy their first property or people that already own now wants to go into buy-to-let business or want people that own already now want to move house. We also help people that want to go into development. If found property at auction that is run down, they need to fix. We help them with funding. And they've got land they want to build up. We, so our job is to basically find a bank that will make the funds available mm-hmm. for them. To, okay. And sell a mortgage. Um, mortgage is any loan secured on a property unsecured and against an asset, be it commercial, shops, buildings, houses, cars. It's just like something secured against mm-hmm. an asset. It's, it's this unsecured loan is the typical credit cards, the personal loans that we we get, the, the, the HP. But a mortgage is lending secured against an asset. Okay, cool. And for, so for example, if I wanted to get a mortgage, do I need a mortgage broker? Can I, is there also the online options nowadays? Or? Well, the online options are there. Okay. And you can go straight to your bank. But the the disadvantage in that is um, the bank will only give you what they have. But whereas for myself, we have access to hundreds of lenders that if your bank is not able to help you. We have options that we can, we have other lenders that we work with that are not on the high street, mm-hmm. but they offer mortgages, okay, lending yeah. for people that want to buy. So we have access to those sort of lenders mm-hmm. that you wouldn't necessarily know exist. Yeah, I get you. Cool. So yeah, back to, to setting up your business. So for example, like you said, you kind of noticed that how they were towards you was very, like, different compared to your peers that you were working with. So setting up your own thing, and I definitely agree with you, sometimes you have to build your own table. But what was it like starting up? Because for you saying that, for example, you had certain clients as well that they already assumed are fraudulent and stuff like that, did you already have your own client base that for you to start out wasn't too daunting because you have a few people, access to people that you already work with? Or was it like you started from zero on your own now? Um, I had few clients that I had when I was working at these various places. But the thing is, there's so much business they can do mm-hmm. that you wouldn't still be able to make ends meet. Because mm. It's not like they have cases for you to do every day. It's yeah. just one day and maybe yeah. another one year they come back for another one so it was I had to start I also start from scratch because I had to put the company out there I had to generate businesses um, do 
go to places, churches, connect with uh, estate agents, accountants, solicitors that if you have clients, I can help them. Sort of, I had to also, what I did was create a niche market for myself mm-hmm. in the sense that our community, I found that many of us come into UK, but we don't understand how the system works. So we just work and pay our bills. So many at times we don't pay on time. So you have people with county court just judgment against them, defaults, mispayment, and all of those things. And I found myself that I had to focus on those sort of clients, mm. which are people that I can relate to. And yeah. that's how I built the business. I've been able to help people like that. And yeah. from there, the business just sort of so, picked up. So like, so do you also, so basically, so people who have like a county court judgment, so for those who don't know what a county court judgment is, it's basically like a, a marker on, on your credit file. Um, but so for those type of people, they, I'm, I'm assuming that they'll get, um, they'll go to like a specialist lender where their interest rate might be slightly higher, might be 6%, 7%, as opposed to someone else, someone else with a more healthier credit history, credit file, will have an interest rate of 1.2%. Exactly, you're right. It's just that now, it's uh, that market is so competitive mm. that you find people with those sort of mark on their credit are uh, having access to lenders that would do 3% instead of the 6% or the 10 15% that they used to. Yeah. Now they have access to 3% products. So the competition is very fierce within the specialist market that we are able to to get them good rate and people like that after six months as long as they're very disciplined with their product their credit lenders are willing to accommodate them whereas it used to be after two years three years now there's so much flexibility towards people like that and that's how I grew the business being able to help those that wouldn't have been able to get mortgage mm-hmm. in the first place. Yeah. And that's amazing. I think even one thing to highlight is helping people. You're in the service business. You're yes. here to serve. And through that, you've been able to kind of build a, a successful business off that. And what other lessons have you kind of noticed while um, running your own business that has helped you grow your business to where you are now? Uh, as it is now, um, when I started, I actually I started the company functioning as a brokerage in February of 2019. Now there's six of us as brokers and I've got three admin people working for me and I'm still bringing in new people, looking for new people to come in. I realized that one, for the business to grow, I need to have a setup that allows the business to function Mm -hmm. outside of myself. Mm -hmm. And I realized that I can't do all the cases myself as well. Because if I want to do that, it means there won't be any life outside of work for me and my family. And I'm a very family-focused person. Mm -hmm. So then also part of my reason for setting up is to give people access to way into the industry. Like help them, train them, newly qualify. Even if after two years or wherever, they now want to move on. Just allow them access in 
and help them to build mm-hmm. to sort of avoid the experience that I had. That was the the major factor in terms of me setting up, making money, obviously. Yeah. But part of it is helping my kind of people to come in as much as we can and I've been able to do that successfully so yeah. far. I think when you have like such a big mission and purpose, it you have a, a reason every day to wake up. Like you said, it's not just about how can I make more money, it's how can I help young people who are going to find it difficult to get into this industry or mm. how can I get people um, who may not be able to get a property actually get a property. So I think that's a that's an amazing mission that you, you've been doing and it's definitely like something that I can see keeps you going and you're, you're very passionate about. So it's really, really good to see. Um, Thank you. So for, for, so for example, I think personally, I think now is kind of one of the most difficult times to get on a, on a property ladder for, for young people. What kind of advice would you, would you give to young people who are looking to get on the property ladder? I think um, they, let me put it this way. The common factor that I've seen is people having a particular idea of where they want to live. Mm-hmm. That is a major thing because it means where you want to live, you can't afford to stay there. And so what I tell people is the mission really is supposed to be, let me get on the ladder first. Let me establish myself. Let me get in there mm. and sort of build a profile. Then the moment I can afford to, I can now go and buy where I want to live. Because there's so many options, there's so many opportunities that people are not aware of in terms of, for example, friends, up to four friends can buy a house together. So instead of you yourself alone trying to buy, knowing is a difficult thing in terms of deposit, you can team up with three other friends of yours. Your salaries, combined salaries will be considered and you guys can put down as much deposit as you have, up to 10, 15, however much deposit. Mm-hmm. So if you have 5% bond, your salary is okay, but you can't afford what you want. So the four of you can buy together. Mm-hmm. Bank will accept that and mm-hmm. buy a four-grade house. We share mm-hmm. until you guys earn enough to start moving yeah. on. You can either sell it. Yeah. I think every... Uh, cor- correct me if I'm wrong, but I feel like... Obviously, you saying buying property with your friends is not a secret or nothing new, but it's not something that I feel like a lot of people consider because yeah, everyone is so like, I'm not, I'm not, not, I won't even say competition, but I was like, I want to my own. Do you know what I yeah. mean? But like you said, if you're able to kind of join forces, you can actually get on, on it yeah. much quicker. I think now ownership is become a big thing. Everyone wants to be like, yeah, I own this, I own that. So, you know, it's it's a good idea, but in actuality, it's not, not a lot of people would, would do that. It's because of the lack of understanding in mm. terms of how it works. Yeah. Okay. Um, I do get people ask me shared ownership, for example, mm. or help to buy. Mm. All these things are a means of you getting on the ladder. That's the objective. Mm-hmm. Mm. It's never the means to an end. I'm sorry, it's a means to an end. It's never the end thing that, mm-hmm. okay, you can just team up, get it, you want to marry, 
you can sell your share to the other friend. Take your deposit, take the money as your deposit to buy for the group one. Shared ownership, you can only afford 25%. What we do with people with shared ownership is when they earn enough income and their share of what they bought is increased in value, we go to the bank, we refinance it to them, and they take out 100% of it. Mm. So we'll pay off the people that own the remaining part. Everything is just to allow you onto that. But, like, my biggest gripe with um, the the help to buy government government loan scheme, right, is that if it's not paid off in five years, obviously the interest rate increases. Now, you, uh, I believe you can get a property up to half a million. Now, a lot of people are going to go for 300,000, 400,000 house or apartment, flat, whatever. And the average salary in the UK is probably about 30, 35, max 40. Yeah. And a lot of people are earning within within that region. Now, with the rate of interest increasing, um, the co- like the cost of living going up, a lot of people will, have, will, will default on their payments. Yeah. Yeah. And it's kind of like it's, for me, it's just like how I see it is that history is repeating itself in the in the with the 08 uh, financial crash. It's like we're in that build up phase kind of thing. So that's why for me, I've always stayed away from shared ownership, help to buy because I just I just saw it as a quick government money making scheme. But the people are gonna feel the brunt of it. It's it's uh, everything is all a tool. It's mm. I think it's important we understand why we're doing something. Because even the interest-only mortgage product, for people that understand how it works, it's a brilliant tool. The problem is lack of understanding. Mm. Because when people don't know, oh, my friend bought a house, he did share ownership. Why did they do it? What's the reason? Do they understand why? But because your friend did it, you want to do it. And people tend to fall into a trap of, not being able to pay, like you said. Um, also, people want to live, well, what I mentioned earlier, they want to live in a particular area. For me, I'll use myself as an example. Yeah. We live in London. When uh, we used to live in London, rather, where what we could afford was a two-bed flat. But when I, I've got two kids, a boy and a girl, 10 and 8 now, they needed their own space. I started looking around for where to buy. Bear in mind, I deal with mortgages, so I know the lenders that will give me the most money and all of those things. <laughs> the places that I wanted to live in terms of the size of the house and then they were asking me to come and pay ridiculous million, half a million. And I'm like, okay, this doesn't make sense. So what we did was we moved further into Kent than we, we would normally have to buy what we know we can afford at the same time a very good place, mm. peaceful location. But that's what most people don't want to do. We're so comfortable where we are, even though we're spending so much trying to stay in that location rather than willing to go further out. There are places in the UK where a three-bed house you still see it under 100,000. Mm, yeah. But the fact is, it's not where we want to live. Mm. That's the major problem. Yeah. No, it's true. And um, but what about like, what about the loopholes 
in property. Because I know there are there are certain loopholes. Um, like for example, you can buy for a business, etc., or things like that. What, are there any loopholes for any potential first-time buyers that 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 we can exploit or that they well, can exploit? I wouldn't say loopholes that things that lenders are willing to work with. Mm. Like, for example, you have an older or someone that's already owned their property. You're a first-time buyer. Bank will allow you to team up with that person as a joint application on the mortgage. But sole proprietor means when they're registering the property, it will just be in your own name because you are the first-time buyer. The person already owned. But the lender will consider your income and their income yeah. for affordability. But would, would my so would the person who already own the house, would the new property be secured against that? No. Uh, so the idea is to use their income, yeah, and your income mm-hmm. to look at what you can afford to buy. Mm-hmm. So two incomes instead of your own, give you access to a, a better property. So the bank will look at the income, they'll make sure that you can afford it with the person's income. So brother and sister, parents and a child can buy together. But it's the person that's the first time buyer that their name will be on the land registry. So it's a joint application. It allows you to use, let's say, for example, your income is 30,000 and the person is earning 50,000. That's 80,000 they would look at. Yeah. to buy the property instead of your own 30000 So that is there as well. Mm-hmm. Some people that are self-employed, your business is doing very well. It's okay for your business to retain profit. You're getting dividend and your salary. Lenders will look at the three as you have to calculate your affordability. Yeah. So instead of oh, what you're declaring as your income alone, which most time is not enough. Mm-hmm. So they will do that as well. So in terms of what is possible, is all on individual basis. What the person is willing to, like they let us know what the situation is and we can advise accordingly. But there's so many things lenders are willing to do. People that, some lenders will consider you contributing into your pension as part of your income because they know you can choose not to do that, but you're contributing towards pension. Mm-hmm. So it means your what they're looking at that you can afford is bigger compared to. Yeah, makes sense. Makes sense. So yeah, about about property. Just wanted to talk about the importance of credit as well. Um, for example, you kind of mentioned those that have a mark on on their credit. How how important is it's credit um, when it comes to to getting a mortgage. And you also said those that are disciplined over a certain period of time can also fix that. So if you're young and you have bad credit now because you are kind of misinformed or uneducated, it's not the end of the world, is it? No, it's not. No, mm-hmm. it's not. Um, I think now the the lenders have sort of realised the, the problem of adverse in terms of how people see it and, well, lack of not knowing what to do. So it means that they're coming up with products that will be suitable for people that have got the blips in there. Some lenders will even consider people that 
were uh, bankrupt. They were bankrupted. Like years, they've been discharged. They've got their acts together. Things have been um, better now. So there's so much opportunities. People with uh, that management, lenders will consider them as long as they've been able to keep up with the the payment. It just means that the sort of product they will have access to will be will be high. So my thing is I try to educate people. I try to show them not just about mortgages but about life insurance, the impact, the importance of all these things and how it can help build a legacy uh, for you to live uh, well for your generations mm. to come by and be disciplined. The little things that we don't take serious, how missing, uh, what's it called, the smallest of the mobile phone, for mm. example, how it can impact you getting a, a better product. So yeah. all those things are there, but it's not the end of the world for people that have gone through the process and are now more in tune with their own credit history and sort of making sure that nothing happens to it. Yeah. Mm. What are kind of the the steps slash precautions you would advise some before applying for, for a mortgage? Like? Um, the way we help our clients, we tend to, ideally will be, before, if you're looking to buy, like, for example, if you're looking to buy, start buying in the next six months, mm-hmm. we, we try to look at their credit report, look at their income, you know, okay, this is what you've got in terms of your credit file. Stay disciplined. We tell them the steps depending on what needs to be done that's particular to them. So we sort of tell them the steps to take every month. And if they're consistent with that, after six months, there would have been an improvement in terms of their credit. Because all we need is not about the score. that Because everyone keeps thinking that I've got... 999, I've got 700. It's never about that for mortgages. It's about how disciplined you are with the commitments you have. Are you paying on time? How many missed payments have you had in the last six months, one year, two years, and six years? Those are the things that will guide us to the lenders. So it's you being disciplined and not, even if life event happens, like sickness, loss of job, things that we can explain. Lenders are willing to listen to us. Okay, this is the reason why this happened. I had one this way that my client had a missed payment on their mortgage. And the reason was he was into, he he has a clothing business. Then the internet selling the boohoo, they all just came in. So it means he wasn't getting clients coming into his shop to buy. So he ran into problems. I was able to explain that to the lender that now he's working and things have improved for him. So, uh, okay, life event happened and they're okay for that. See? So things like that, as long as we can explain why mm. and we they can see that there's been an improvement, lenders are happy to consider. Yeah. So I think even separately, like <laughs> even if people aren't ready to buy there, I know, I know there are like tools and stuff, like for example... Credit builder, uh, credit cards. Cards, yes. And it's like low interest and 
and you literally just make a payment and just pay it off. Or there's even like credit cards that provide you with a loan and you pay a fixed amount. So it might be six pounds, it might be five pounds a month. You pay that for the year. And obviously that shows, consistency. you know, consistency, yeah. you know. Um, so there's even like tools and stuff. But the thing is, a lot of people don't don't know about it. That's the problem. That's the problem. That's yeah. the problem. Like access to information is the problem. Yeah. Or lack of it. Because the people that needs it the most, they don't have access to the people like myself that can yeah. help them. And also, those that have access, the the mindset is focused more on the bank giving them. Yeah. So when the bank says no, they just give up. Mm. Whereas there are other people that can help them yeah. get this thing. So. And and that's the thing. Like I'm, I only know about the importance of credit because. Like when I was, how old was I? I think when I was 18, when I was working, I took out a store card. Oh. And I thought, ah, oh, yeah, it's free money. Free money. I thought, yeah, it's <laughs> sick. So I took out the store card. I just spent it all. I didn't pay it back. And I was like, and then like a year later, yeah, it affected my credit history. So from, from that point, I started teaching myself about credit through uni, fixing it, fixing it, fixing it. Um, yeah, like I'm, I'm checking about my, my credit for all the time. Yeah, there are free credit companies. Yeah. Free credit report. Clear score, yeah. Experian, Equifax. Yeah, all those ones that will give you access to the free. Yeah. It's um there was a question that was asked one time when I was doing a presentation at the church. The the lady said to me that um at that in advice um, when they were doing the open day mm. and the banks were offering different kind of credit at the open day credit card, student account, student, all those things, that, oh, she now ran into problems and at default. The question I asked her then was, do you think your dad knew about credit? Because we tend to associate our parents to knowledge mm-hmm. and sometimes. Yeah. They don't know themselves. So the open day thing, I just said to her, try and teach your younger one. Because they say something you can get, it doesn't mean it's free. Nothing is free in the UK. Mm. If you really look at it properly, mm, it's true. nothing is free, but they present it in a way that, oh, if you need emergency money and you see people with 10 cards, and like, they just use from one card to another. Whereas when they want to buy, those are the things that the lenders are looking at. That do you leave off credit? Mm. If you lose your job, how, how long can you keep up? before mm. you start defaulting on your credit. Those are the things they will look at. So if someone that's earning three, four thousand, for example, that's good salary per month. But out of that four thousand, three thousand two hundred goes to service commitments. Mm. For a mortgage lender, that's a high risk because mm. they only need to lose their job the following month. They're in trouble. Mm. So it means they'll start defaulting the following month because almost 90% of their salary goes towards or someone that's earning 2000 for example and the outgoing in terms of credit commitment is 500 that is what they want like mm. your commitment is not up to that's just like uh, 25% of their income or up to 50% then the risk to the bank is low because you've got enough disposable income yeah. to keep up payment. So they're, they're okay with that compared to good salary but high commitment. Yeah, yeah. 
So I got I got a question, right? Because you know, for example, you can get you got credit card. You have access to I don't know, let's say the credit limit is twenty five thousand, right? How easy is it to use that money on the credit card as a deposit on a property, or is it a case of? Pulling it off bit by bit, moving it around, manipulating it, making well, the, making the, sure that there's like a, a paper trail. Well, the 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 truth of the matter is most lenders don't want you to borrow towards the puzzle mm. because it means you are still borrowing money to buy. But because they will look at how much you're paying on the credit as part of your commitment every month. Mm. So Ideally, they would rather you don't do that. But people will pull the money out, put it in their savings account, mm. and gradually pay up the credit card and keep payment and make sure they keep it up. So people can do that, but ideally banks don't. Yeah. They, they're looking at it that you're borrowing to borrow at yeah. the same time. Yeah. For people that are first-time buyers, let bank will allow you to Let's say, for example, you've got parents that have got, they've bought, they can release money from equity release to help you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or you have uncles and aunties that are in a position to give you money. Yeah. They will, banks will allow them to contribute to help you. Mm. Because the, the, the major problem we have is people having income, good income, but don't have deposit. Mm. to save so if you have people that can help you with deposit then banks will mm. they will work with you so yeah. there's so many things that the banks are able to do where I'm talking about specialist lenders because it's not all the banks that will allow aunties and uncles to give you money mm. but there are lenders that will allow that yeah yeah makes sense mm. so firstly you need to have a good job with a good salary <laughs> and then you, with your mortgage, you get four times four and a half of. We actually have a bank that came out recently that's willing to do six times okay. income. Wow. So, but the person's credit needs to be very clear. Mm. And then you need to have money saved for the deposit as well, right? Yeah. Minimum 5%. Minimum 5% of the asking so, price. Of the asking price, yeah. price. Yeah. So, what we. Apart from the first-time buyer, what we do, we help people because you don't need to be a homeowner to start in property business. Mm. Buy to let, for example. You don't have to own a first, like, already a homeowner. So people like yourself that wants to buy, but where you want to buy is expensive, but you have enough money. You can do buy to let. That's how I deposit, though. That's the thing. Not a lot of people yeah, be willing to put down 25%. This is the thing. 25%, a 5% for a property in London that you're saving is 25% property in Manchester, in mm. Newcastle. Yeah, yeah. You get it? Mm. So, but they'll give you passive income that you can use to sub, to top up yeah. what you're earning. And also the property, depending on the area, will grow in value as well. So your 10,000 is 20% for 20, 50, um, 50,000 property mm. somewhere in the UK. They'll yeah. give you 450 monthly rent. 
Yeah. So yeah. you can, while you're still trying to build up yourself, you can let the money work for you mm. by yeah. investing it somewhere else. Well, depending on how good the area is, the property that you paid 50000 for, if it's properly invested in, will go up. Mm. So if you sell it in a few years' time, you get enough in terms of what you put there plus profit for you to buy. Yeah. So there's so many things that can be done while you're looking to build up for where you want to, that the money can work for you. Yeah, yeah. No, no. I, 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 I fully agree. Um, makes sense. But as I said before, it's just, it's just these are the things that people don't know, people don't research, and they don't know, I guess, how to research it. Yeah. Um, no. So you, you kind of mentioned the deposit that you can, obviously, if you have parents or homeowners, they can pull out yeah. some equity or family as well. Are there any other ways in which you can have, like, a deposit to, to buy a property? Um, there, there's these new companies that are coming up. Like, they, they offer similar product like the bank, the government, sorry, they help to buy it governments because with the help to buy with the government you're only you're restricted to new developments so what they're doing is they lend you up to 20 percent also for areas but it's not only a new bill so you can buy any house you want that's another option you only need to have their five percent they top it up up to a hundred thousand for you the help to buy, the government owns part of the property, so they will own part of your asset as well. So few of them don't charge interest. Mm. They just own. So let's say they gave you 100000 for the property that you, you bought, and they own that percentage of your, if the 100000 is 20%, they own 20%. And as long as you're, giving them something, they're okay with, you're reducing the loan you've given you. So it's interest-free. So you can reduce the, the loan. And if the equity is gone up, you can remortgage, refinance, if you've got a good income to pay off their money. So there's so many schemes that people are trying to bring about to, to help people to buy. So it's all about finding the right one for people that are ready to to buy, yeah, yeah, that makes sense. And I'm not sure if this if this scheme has ended, but um, like again, if your parents have a large sum of money, you can put it into a savings account, and that is basically locked for like five years, and that's used as collateral. So if if person someone defaults, defaults then... yeah, so those ones are there as well. Mm. Like they're not physically taking the money. Out. Yeah, so they're just. Assigning the percentage to the bank that for the first five years, that those are still that I think Barclays called it springboard. Yeah, that's it, yeah. But there are yeah. different ones that the banks will, will. So the idea is for the bank to give you hundred percent mortgage, where the asset is um is a charge is secured against their par- the parent. Mm. It's not all of them that want the money in uh in a saving. Some will just put a charge on the parents' property mm. to accommodate them giving you the 
hundred percent the loan and the five years if you're consistent after that they just take it out because you would have reduced the monthly payment. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The loan amount to accommodate for them having equity in the property. Yeah. So that that's still there as well. So yeah, there are so many options. Yeah, there is, yeah. No, I agree. Cool. I agree. Um so a question I have, um so from your client base and the people you deal with on a day-to-day basis, would you say that, because, for example, I'm 25 years old, right? And everyone feels like they need to have a property by 25 or so. Would you say that it is quite uncommon for a 25-year-old to have a property like is the average age I think might be around 30, 32 or so. What what would you say? Oh let me put it this way. For for us in the minority, average is 35. Okay. Because there's so many this those of expectation that we put on ourselves mm-hmm. that most times are not necessary. But we think, oh, we need to do this, we need to do that. But what I find is most of the people like yourself, they're too busy focusing on the cars, the good life, than putting things in place to for the future. If you look at the Asians, for example, if they're, they're married in their parents' house, they help them save money. They marry young as well. They help them save money in that. The moment they have enough, they're helping them to buy a property. We don't do that. Mm. We don't do that because for us, the, the moment we think we're old enough, we want to leave the house, to go and to live a good life too. But the discipline is they build well generation. There was a survey that was done a few years back in terms of generational wealth. And blacks are just way, like, way, way far away in terms of, I think the Asians were the top. Indian, the Pakistani were like the top. Then we have the British, white, then everyone else. But the blacks, the the West Indian, the Africans were just like, I think we're around 5%. But the reason is we don't tend to look at building assets as a way of passing the legacy. So mm. we're too mindful of the good life, the good car, the big cars, and all those things. Mm. Whereas it's the reverse for them. Like before they drive the big cars, they've built up a massive property portfolio and asset that the oh my, the that the the income is just there to service. Mm. So that's the. Sorry for that. That's all right. I thought I switched it off. <laughs> you know what? It's true. And you make a good point because I was actually watching a, a documentary, right? Um, and basically, like a lot of these big brands, Balenciaga, Gucci, um, might be Versace, Prada, they're all owned by <laughs> one parent company. Yes. And their target audience is ethnic minorities because... Loud prints, very out there, very ostentatious. And the more subtle stuff is more tailored to uh, Europeans, non-ethnics, whites, and et cetera, et cetera. Um, they want it quiet. 
exactly. And um, and I was just I was having a conversation with my sister, and she she just said to me like, a lot of people are focused on looking like they have money rather than actually having money in, in their in their account or in their pockets. So when I watched that documentary, it just made me sit back and just have a not necessarily have a different perspective, but it kind of just reinforced come up kind of my new ideologies because. I even spoke about this before. Like when I finished um, union, I started working. I was buying so much clothes and all that stuff. And then I got to a point, I was like, I can't really do anything. There's no value. So I was like, okay, I need to start making my money work for me whilst whilst I'm chilling, basically. Um, when, when, oh, the, the common thing I mentioned earlier, the cars, what many people don't know that I think is important is car leasing. Yeah. You can still drive the car you want. But if you do a lease instead of I purchase the HP or the PCP, you're still driving the same car. Yeah. And if you're done with it, you tell them I don't want anymore. You haven't lost that the the asset hasn't depreciated because you don't own it. But you still use it. It's still yours in the way that you drive it. You have access to it 24-7. And it doesn't impact your credit history. And it's brand new from the from the manufacturing factory. It's not in the showroom or anything. It's directly from the factory that yeah. you're buying, that you, you get it. So those things, for me, I would rather do that. In fact, I'm doing that than buying a new car, yeah. doing H, uh, HP and it goes on my credit. I've got a large commitment that mm. the bank will now consider as part of my asset that is depreciating. Mm. So we we I don't know how we got here, but we tend to be so much out there in terms of I want people to see me, I want people to know what I yeah. have. And I realize the people that do have it amongst us. You hardly see them. Yeah, no. yeah. They they wouldn't spend thousands on a wristwatch. Mm. They would rather spend thousands on an asset that will, that will later they will be able to transfer. Mm. The, another thing that we don't do is there's this thing trust that's very important that for you to build up and everything you own is in a trust that your generations to come can still benefit from. Yeah. All those things we don't tend to take them serious. We don't do life insurance. We don't do critical cover. Like someone will lose their job and that's it. Whereas there's so many things that you can do to cover you. That loss of job, accidental things that things that will help you keep up a lifestyle that we tend not to take serious. Yeah. I think it's more of a lack of education and that's also why I'm very grateful to have you on the podcast as well because even me like I'm here thinking how the hell am I going to get on the property ladder do you know what I mean and just hearing the different ways and stuff as well because my, my my parents own property as well so even that's a route in for me as well so yeah very thankful for you coming on the podcast but I think the main issue is that lack of education which is what we kind of need more yeah, of in our, in that's, our community that's the major factor yeah. So I remember when I came, like I said, I took time. I think for me, the 12 years was a blessing because not being able to work properly means I had time to do research. How does it work? 
how's what's the system built and what's the thing that makes the country function yeah. things like that do you know what's so crazy though you saying you waited 12 years to start working like someone that started working for one year is like it's taking too long like the the to wait for 12 years and then to be where you are is also a lesson to be learned as well because I feel like we put so much time limits and milestones on ourselves but it's like you can wait 12 years and then still be highly successful after do you know what I mean so the 12 years I think I was fortunate to like I said people around me and also able to get the jobs that the odd jobs here and there that you were able to to sustain yourself Mm -hmm. but the key thing was when the time comes and I get the papers, what am I going to do? Mm-hmm. Mm. What will I use it for? It's not just about me working now because I'm talking, yeah, just 12 years from when I got the papers. And I'm now employing people. It was the idea is how do I make it work when I get it? So when I got the papers, I was able to run because I already know what I'm looking to do. Mm. So I'm not, I didn't just get the papers and I start thinking, what am I going to do now, now that I've got it? I already know what I was going to do. I already did the research. I take risks, but I realize it's not all the risks I'm comfortable with. So that's why I didn't go to the stock market, uh, things like this. No. My risks are calculated ones that what's the worst that can happen? I can still see the asset. That I use my money for. So the property is still there. I can rent it out. I haven't lost everything. So that's the sort of, those are the things that I looked at. at. Which of them is property, stock market, it's all these things. Which of them am I comfortable with? Do you like risk? Yes. What sort of risks do you like? Mm. Or I need, I don't want the ones that if anything happens, everything is gone. Then it's property. Okay, what can you afford? Where do you start? What are the, so those things are took time to to look at it. So I'm not just a, a mortgage broker. We are we also have a property company, me and my wife, that we we buy, run down, fix it, rent it out. Mm. So I'm I also I'm in a unique position to understand the two sides because mm. I'm helping people to buy and also we're doing for ourselves. Yeah. So that's the thing that people and risk, that certain risk that we're not comfortable with for me, which I don't want to lose my money. I don't want to lose anybody's mm-hmm. money. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, if I don't do it, nothing yeah, will happen. Nothing mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So it's 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 important for us to be able to move away from our comfort zone. Mm-hmm. I agree. Oh, definitely. And yeah, like I said, there's there's been so much value from, from this podcast and this 100%. episode just all kind of the, the insight you, you shared with us. Um, we always end the podcast on a word for the week because we drop on Mondays. Um, so do you have a word or phrase for our listeners going into this new week? Well, a word. Uh, I'm not. <laughs> yeah, honestly, we, <laughs> put everyone, we put everyone on the spot all the time. We don't give them no preparation. Um, Something that sticks to you. I think for me, the the, the thing that, the two things I say most to my friends, my people around me is um, if your dream is not, doesn't scare you, it's not worth having because 
where I am now was a dream like almost 20 years ago. Mm. But at that time, they were so big. They were so like giant mountains. So for me, your dream needs to scare you. That's important. Because the moment you are, you are afraid of the dream you have, you know, ah, okay. It's possible because the moment you think about it, it's possible. That's why that's why you're able to conceive it. But it needs to scare you. So if you're dreaming of doing something that you can do easily, then it's a waste of mm. um, Also, the other thing is stop trying to get invited to other people's table. Find a way to make your own table. Mm-hmm. That's, a, that's a good one. Yeah, perfect. If your dreams don't scare you, then you're not dreaming big enough and don't wait to be invited to his table. Build your own. There you have it, people. Thank you so much, Ovi, for coming on the podcast. Where can, our, where can our listeners find you if they have any mortgage or property um, questions? We're, the company is BSL Financial Services. We're, we're on the FCA uh, register. We're based in Lucian. Um, we have a what's it called the Instagram BSL Financials on Instagram we're there uh, can I give our office number um, yeah um, you can even text it to me I can add it to the yeah, show I'll notes send it to you. Yeah. I'll send the well. emails and everything yeah. So yeah, you guys can so check the show notes for more details yeah, on how to get make sure you like follow and subscribe as well there you have it guys thanks for tuning in please like share subscribe and remember to focus on things that move, move the, the needle, needle. bow Thank you.